This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Today's Q&A podcast includes a brand new 30-day book challenge, plus the business model behind it. I promise if you write this book, I will read it. Then I talk about what are dead people doing with all those stimulus checks, an update on the elections as I see it on the gambling sites. Is it time to buy silver? How many businesses have already gone out of business from this lockdown? And also I talk about the common mistakes that every business makes. And actually the question was about what are the common mistakes for podcasts, but applies for every single business. Plus I have the BS headline of the day and much more. Text me at 203-590-8607. Enjoy the Q&A. Hey, welcome to live. Uh, we were just on a plane yesterday, so we missed the uh, live Q&A yesterday. But when we're on a plane, Every time I've gone on a plane in the past few months, which is only twice, uh, people always ask, were we afraid of getting the virus on a plane? And the answer is no. I don't know why. I'm not, I sound like I think, I'm, first off, we're wearing masks. Yeah. Here, here, here's, the, here's the thing. You go on an airplane now, the airports are empty. So instead of there being 200 people in line in front of us on security, there's mm-hmm. three people in line. Then you could go huge stretches without seeing anybody. It's almost like how New York City, Times Square, in the middle of a pandemic, there's just nobody at the airport. And then when you get on the plane, usually the stewardesses are wearing some sort of mask and gloves and they've limited what they serve you. Like there's no alcohol on the plane. Some planes don't have coffee or other things. You can get like a water. And instead of having a whole meal, there's like a snack box. So it's very quick to eat. It's usually... It doesn't have anything good in it. Have you been eating the snack box? You've been getting like the hummus snack box. I get just like the gummy bear (laughs) snack box. And so people have their masks off for maybe like three minutes on the entire plane ride. And I have not heard, like we've asked, you asked a stewardess, how many stewardesses are getting coronavirus now that planes are getting more active? What was the answer? She said she doesn't know of any. She didn't know of any coronavirus cases. Uh, Yeah, the people that she's worked that she works with. So my guess is it's probably hard to get coronavirus on a plane. I think to get the way I've heard that's most, nobody knows how to get a coronavirus, but the way I've heard this most common is if you're just on top of somebody for days and days breathing on them, like on a cruise line or in a conference or if I'm going <sighs> on you all day long, you might get coronavirus if I'm a super spreader. I haven't, and then if you're in a nursing home, so I haven't really heard of that many, I haven't heard of any cases where someone was on a plane and then suddenly they got coronavirus. I have heard, we did hear recently somebody got it while at a ski resort, but that could be because it's cold and dry and they everybody- were lodging with the person, right? Hmm? Weren't they lodging with the people? Yeah, so they were lodging with a bunch of people. And of course, when you're coming in from the cold, you're all like, you know, spitting or whatever. I don't know, because you're you're so cold, you're like, trying to breathe warm air. So the answer is, I know a lot of people who have been scared to go on planes. I have not been scared at all. I don't think you've been scared at all. But you know what's benefited from the fear of planes? 
RV companies. So Camping World, which is a stock, that stock has gone, it's the stock owned by Marcus Lamanis, who is the star of the TV show, The Profit. That stock has gone through the roof. So RV uh, uh, companies have benefited, but no, I am not scared of going on a plane. So uh, let's answer, uh, oh, first I, I just saw a headline, which might not be the bullshit headline of the day. This might be a good headline. It's on CNN.com. I have money. So I, I gamble on the election at predicted.org and I have a bet now on who is going to be the Joe Biden's VP nominee. So here's a headline I'm about to, I just saw about to click on it and, uh, Joe Biden is entering the final month of his search for a running mate. And so the top four prospects are Kamala Harris of California, Elizabeth Warren of Massachusetts, which I think is a no. I don't think, I think he can't stand Elizabeth Warren. Val Demings of Florida as a congressman and Atlanta mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms. Now, Keisha, I like calling her Keisha. She was my original bet that I was betting on to be the vice presidential candidate. I forgot. I think I switched though. I think after the Atlanta shootings, um, I figure she has no chance because people always bring up that. So I switched my bet. Uh, by the way, there, I just looked at predicted.org and there's something surprising there about Biden versus Trump, which I'll get to in a second. Once I log in college affiliation, I don't want, I don't want them to know what college I'm in. Everybody wants your information. Oh, what college did you go to? That's none of your business. I'm, I'm making bets on your platform. I don't need to tell you. Uh, okay. Let's see. Vice presidential nominee Kamala Harris is up to 49 cents. And I fortunately got rid of my Keisha Lance Bottoms position, which has fallen to five cents. I, I bet on her when she was at eight cents and I switched to Val Demings, the congressman from wherever. I don't even know where she's from, from, and, uh, I'm up two cents. I bought her at 13 cents. Now I'm at 15 cents. So hopefully she's the pick. Um, I don't know why I'm hearing some noise. Oh, CNN. There's always noise on CNN. Um, so, predicted.org, I've been taking quite a beating lately though, because here's the thing. I was betting against the fact that Joe Biden would be the nominee. I was very suspicious when Andrew Cuomo wanted to cancel the New York primary, which has so many delegates. I thought this was part of a, a scheme to make sure there was a brokered convention, but it looks like Biden has clinched everything. And now this is the biggest I've ever seen on predicted.org, they're saying Biden is 61 cents to win the presidential election. For the longest time, he was at 47 cents. For six months in a row, he was at 47 cents and Trump was at 51 cents. Now Biden's at 61 cents. Trump is at 39 cents. This is the, the highest I've ever seen Biden and the lowest I've ever seen Trump. So I don't know. Predicted.org is basically making a solid prediction on who's going to win. Uh, I like these. I don't like listening to the polls because who have you ever even answered a poll? Like who does the poll call? Do they call people with landlines. Like I don't even have a landline. Have you, <laughs> when was the last time you had a landline as opposed to a cell phone in China? No, probably before we moved overseas, 2005. So in 2005 was the last time you had a landline. Yeah. And ever since then, just cell phones. Right. So who are they even calling for these polls? Oh, Biden just ticked up. Did you see that? You just took that from 61 cents to 62 cents. Yeah. Trump though, still at 39 yeah, cents. I don't know. This isn't 
No, predicted that. Here's the thing. Prediction markets, people are putting money at risk. So I find yeah. it to be much more valid than polls. Right, but they're, they're also wanting their wish. Like, they're like trying to... But who would want to lose? Like, you could bet up to $1,000. Like, who would want to lose that much know. money on uh, just because they wish Biden would win or they would wish Trump were, would win? Um, uh, so anyway, that's predicted.org. Uh, but this is related. I want to do another 30-day book challenge. I feel like with every election, or I feel like, let's say you and I meet, oh, we brought our dog with us to Florida. So we're in Florida now. We came back to Florida yesterday from New York City. We brought our dog, or I should say Robin's dog. I don't really like dogs that much, but this dog is, is cute. So you want to bring Wookie over here to say hi? So I was thinking of another 30-day book challenge, and I realized with everyone I meet, and I don't know if this is true for everyone you meet, but I feel like everyone has got their issues. Like everyone has got like one or two issues that are make or break. Mm -hmm. So that a, like, like a, a simple one is pro-life versus pro-choice. So they will, uh, uh, you know, if someone's pro-life or if someone's pro-choice, mm -hmm. all of their friends feel the exact same way they do. All their candidates feel the exact same way. That's their issue. And then other issues are important also, but like if you don't agree with them on pro-life versus pro-choice, you're not their friend, you're not their candidate, whatever. But everybody's got different issues. So some people it's, it's abortion, some people it's guns. Are you pro-gun uh, or not pro-gun? And there's no nuance. Like if we're pro-gun, it's like, yeah, my three-year-old could have an AK-47. What are you trying to do? Restrict his right to, to bear arms or restrict his right to arm bears? Like, which, what is it? And so, and for other people, the issue is freedom of speech. You know, another issue might be, um, uh, uh, you know, death penalty or no death penalty. Another issue might be tax, you know, taxes go up, or taxes go down. Another issue might be, uh, you know, healthcare for all or no healthcare for all. So here's what I'd like to, I would read this book. If someone could make a book of, uh, you know, you can call it whatever you want, like, you know, what do you believe or the 30 most important issues or, you know, if you don't believe this, then you're not my friend or whatever you want to call it and figure out what for you are the 30 most important issues and then look at the what's the history of that issue? What's the scientific research on that issue? And also what's the history of the issue in politics? So, for instance, you know, pro-life, pro-choice. There's a history, there's a religious, there's a history of that issue that goes back 5,000 years. But what's the political history? Like when, when did pro-choice define being Democrat and pro-life define being Republican? Because mm -hmm. by the way, Richard Nixon, one of the biggest Republicans in the past 50 years, I mean, the guy was vice president for eight years and then president for six years and then famously resigned. He was a pro-choice Republican. Mm -hmm. So, and, you know, even Reagan was probably pro-choice, even though he appointed some, some pro-life, uh, justices. So, although it's unclear. So, so there's the history of the issue. There's the history of the issue in political history. And then there's the scientific research. So does healthcare for all, what does the science say? Does it make for better healthcare or worse healthcare? Does lower taxes uh, help the economy or hurt the economy. So when John F. Kennedy was president, the highest tax rate was 91%. The, lo the lowest tax rate in recent years has been around 30 or 35%. So 
What's been better for the economy? What's been better for the stock market? What's the history of taxes in the United States? I don't think there was a federal tax in the United States until the late 1800s or the early 1900s. So, uh, uh, I think, and, and everybody's got different issues. So you guys might come up with a different set of 30 issues. And if you want to research the issues, again, you know, remember for one of the older book challenges, I recommended go to ssrn.com or jstor.com, which are like academic research sites. So if I go to jstor.com and I Google, um, you know, uh, uh, abortion, then here's the first one that comes up from the American Journal of Political Science, abortion, evidence of an issue, uh, evolution, uh, the, the, the abortion controversy, conflicting beliefs and values in American history. And that's the journal for the scientific study of religion. There's, um, uh, women of color and reproductive justice. So what's the effect of the decision, uh, you know, Roe versus Wade on women of color. There's the consequences of professionalism and formalization in the pro-choice movement. I don't even know what that's about. Um, the politics of career and homemaking. So there's lots of different scientific studies. Um, Jay, Wookie is in Florida. Here's Wookie right here. Say hi to Wookie. Wookie, say hi to everybody. Wookie, can you say hi? Hello. He, Wookie's not very talkative, which is probably the reason why I like it. Um, you know, uh, maybe for some issue is suicide rights are important. Uh, so, and that would be your issue. So this is why it's a good 30 day book challenge. Everybody could write the exact same book, but you'll all have different issues. You'll all have different understandings of the science behind those issues. You'll all have different opinions of the different candidates and the political history of those issues and the religious history of those issues and the history of all these issues. And then it becomes almost like the Bible of how to think about these issues. Mm -hmm. Like, I want to know. Some depth. Hmm? And you'll have some depth. Yeah. You'll understand why you believe in these things rather than you're just believing them because someone told you. Like, you, you won't be like, I don't know. Right. Well, no, that's really important. Or a follower or something. It's like, when you, when, because this happened to you, you know, you'd ask people, so why do you believe this? Like, why do you not, you know, like this person? And they couldn't tell you an answer. Yeah. You know, so it's like, this is a really good, this is actually really good for kids because, you know, typically they're the followers, you know, they, they just listen and, and they just go whichever the wind blows. So it's really good for them to understand and to get some sort of depth in their conversation. Yeah. Like I've asked both Biden supporters and Trump supporters, why, I don't ask them, why do you like Biden or why do you dislike Biden? Oh, I asked them, why do you dislike Biden if you're a Trump supporter? And if you're a Biden supporter, I ask you, why do you dislike Trump? And I've gotten, I've gotten lots of insane answers. So with Biden, if I say, why do you dislike Biden? People say, well, I don't like the fact that he is experiencing cognitive decline. And I'm like, okay, that's fine. But tell me one issue he stands for that you disagree with. And no one really understands the issues. And I wish, and same thing with Trump. Tell me one issue. You don't just say he's a fascist or he's the next Hitler. If he's the next Hitler, I don't know. Then you have other problems with him. But like, tell me one issue you disagree about. And nobody has ever answered me on either Biden or Trump. No one's really answered me with an actual issue. And so if you, if someone were to do this 30 day book challenge, and again, the 30 day book challenge is, you could, you, what are your 30 or even just do the 20 top issues and 
do for, for each issue, do a history of the issue on the planet. So what's the history of abortion on the entire planet over the past 10,000 years? Do a political history, which means in this case, when did pro-choice become so aligned with Democrats and pro-life become so aligned with Republicans? Because again, Richard Nixon, a big Republican since the, from 1950 to 1980, he was pro-choice. So Republicans were pro-choice for a long time. The, the Supreme Court justice that Nixon appointed was the defining vote on Roe versus Wade. So, uh, and also, know. and also it's a good idea to maybe look at the candidate, you know, go through their history. Yeah, yeah, look at the, that's a good idea. So, uh, for each candidate, did they switch positions because it was politically useful to them? Like, what, what, what's their real intellectual honesty? And then also, what's the science behind the issue? So again, guns versus no guns. Depending on where you stand, is there science like no guns reduces crime or more guns reduces crime? Because I've heard both arguments. What's the science on it? And then what's your, if you have a personal story or if you know of other stories, write those. You could even have 10 issues. Right. And given all that I just said, you could you could finish it in 30 days. It'll probably take three days per issue. So because first the history, then the political history, then the science and then a story. So that takes three days. And in 30 days, you're done with a book. You go to 99 Designs, you uh, do a contest for people to make the book cover and then you upload it. And by the way, this is a perfect book to launch at the end of July. So it's almost July 1st. So. If you launch a book like this at the end of July, which is right when all the conventions are happening, you, this will be a bestseller. You'll have a bestseller in your hands. And by the way, not when I give these book challenges, I do see that some people do them and I'm very, people seem so happy and they send me their books and I will list them. I, I If you write this book that I'm suggesting now, I'll even have you on my podcast to talk about it because I want to understand these issues. And there's a lot of them. And again, each issue should be such that some people define their lives around that issue. So some people define who they are based on whether they're pro-choice or pro-life or they're for healthcare for all or they're not for healthcare for all. So, and they define their friends that way, their party that way and so on. So I would, I would, I think it's such a great book because like you say, like we went to, um, you know, a Black Lives Matter protest. And I've talked to other leaders in the BLM movement and uh, a lot of people don't even know the issues. Like what are the issues with blue collar licensing reform? What are the actual issues with felony and, and prison reform? What are the issues with law enforcement reform? A lot of people don't know. So you could have a whole section in this book that's just about Black Lives Matter and that would be interesting. So that is the 30 day book challenge. Someone just suggested I should have a, a page set up for all the book challenges, that's a good idea. Let me think about the best way to do that. Um, per, so here's what I'll do. Text me anything you want or questions for this Q&A or tomorrow's Q&A or the next is at 203-590-8607. Jay, can you print that one? 203-590-8607. And whatever I do in terms of a page for book challenges, I'll send it to the people who text first. And, uh, cause I love getting everyone's texts. I just responded to a whole bunch of texts. And, um, so that is the 30 day book challenge. I hope you like that. And I'm a firm believer. Everyone should write a book. When I first started talking about the book challenges, I described a couple of people 
who you can make a living just writing these 30-day book challenges. Let's say every book gets you on average. So first off, books don't have to be 200 pages. They could be 10 pages. So a good friend of mine and maybe yours, Kamal Ravikant, he wrote a book in 2010 or 2011, Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It. The book was only 8,000 words, which is about 25 pages. I can tell you that book sold over a million copies. It made him a ton of money. He was very happy. And, you know, I know other people who they do write one or two books a month. And on average, each, no, I don't know, they don't have to be bestsellers. On average, each of these books sells $500 a month or 6,000 a year. But imagine if you, if you did a book a month for a year, you have 12 books. So that's $6,000 a month, 72,000 a year. And then in another year, now you're making 140,000 a year. So you can, you can, if you follow, I've been giving a book challenge every month and sometimes more. If you follow these 30 day book challenges and maybe even do your, your own, you will make a living. And people say, well, how do I market the book? How do I make it a bestseller? You don't have to make it a bestseller. The best marketing for a book is to write another book. Cause if somebody likes one of your books, they'll read all of your books. Trust me. So, um, uh, I love the 30 day book challenge because again, all you got to do is write it and upload it to Amazon, write it, get your cover from 99 designs, upload it to Amazon. And there's no rules. It doesn't have to be a certain, like I just finished a book for a major publisher. It had to be 60,000 words, 250 pages, blah, blah, blah. It's coming out next March, which there's reasons I'm doing it with a major publisher. I've also self-published a lot of books and I go back and forth. But when you self-publish, you, you all the rules are out the window. There's no book, uh, there's no page requirement, no word requirement, you know, do the Kindle, do a paper, you could do a paperback. People think, oh no, it's just a, a ebook then. No, you could do a paperback, it's just a click. You could do an audiobook. Audiobooks actually sell better than the paperbacks and you will make money. And then how do you market it? Well, let's say I was doing this 30 political issues book. Uh, uh, so someone asked why March and not now? Because standard mainstream book publishers, they go through a whole production uh, line. So now it's gotta be, you Actually, I don't even know why March and why now. I'm trying to answer this. I mean, you know why they have to do deal with, with, uh, bookstores. But here's why self-publish is more interesting now. Bookstores are going out of business. Guess what? Will Barnes and Noble even come back? I don't know. Bookstores, we were just at the airport. All the airport bookstores were closed. So I don't even, I made, I might have made a big mistake going with a mainstream publisher. We'll find out. But I certainly think self-publishing is the, is the way to go. Every single book challenge I've given you, I, um, I have, I would personally read. So, and I'll give you an example. Look at, I don't know this guy personally. So I'm just making, I, I'm not making up this example. I'll, I'll give you one where I know the guy personally, Steve Scott. If you look at Steve Scott, he writes all, he writes a book a month about habits. And I did a book challenge a few months ago about habits. Uh, if you want, I will summarize it in a future Q and A, send me a text and say, you'd like me to summarize it. But he writes another book every few weeks about habits. He's got like a hundred books. And I know for a fact, cause he's had, I've had him on my podcast. He makes $60,000 a month. And then he makes courses on how to write these books or he makes courses on habits. Another guy who I don't know personally, Patrick King, 
He's got hundreds of books out there. Plus his girlfriend has hundreds of books. They are making a, a shitload of money. And let me just look up Patrick King a second because I don't know him so I can make a little bit of fun. I have never read any of his books. I've never bought any of his books. I'm just fascinated by how many books he has sold. They, they don't even like it that I'm searching for him. He's like third in the search. And and look, I don't even know what these books are about. One they're, book is titled- They're only $3.99. Yeah, they're $3.99, but in, on Amazon, you get 70% of the revenues. And on a book publisher, you get like 15%. Huh. So here's, here's his last few books. Better Small Talk, Stop People Pleasing, The Science of Getting Started, Improve Your People Skills, Think Like a Psychologist, Improve Your con Conversations, The Science of Lack of, of Likeability, The Art of Captivating Conversation, so what's the difference between the art of captivating conversation and his other great book, Improve Your Conversations? How many well, pages are there? Oh, somebody just called me, which is why the video was paused. It was probably Patrick King getting ready to yell at me. I don't know him. Um, okay, in this one, in, in, um, so here's a trick. So Improve Your Conversations, the book by Patrick King, among his hundreds of books, this one is listed in the stress management section on Amazon and business communication skills. So let's see, uh, better small talk, which is also about conversations. Let's just see where that's listed. Totally different categories, educational psychology and behavioral psychology. Mm -hmm. So that's one way to differentiate the book is that one book about conversation is in business mm -hmm. uh, categories. The other book about conversation is in psychology uh, categories. Let's look at even a third conversation book. The Art of Captivating Conversation by the well-known author, Patrick King. Look, it's in two different categories, social psychology and interactions and conversation etiquette guides. So he, How many pages are there? This one's 141 pages actually, but I bet you if I get it, a lot of them are based on maybe other books he does or he's just gotten really good at like writing really fast. <laughs> Who even knows? Who knows? So uh, uh, again, if you just follow the advice in these book challenges, by this point, you would have written four or five books. I think I've given actually five book challenges since we started. And you will, uh, you will start making a living writing books. Now, let's answer some questions. Uh, text me at 203-590-8607. I've got a bunch of questions, um, all set up. And then later, we're going to get to the BS headline of the day and the good headline of the day. Um, okay, someone asks, uh, they just read, and this is a true story, the, the, uh, in the latest stimulus bill, uh, a million people, over a million people got their 1,200, uh, over a million dead people got the $1,200 stimulus checks. Did you know that? What? Yeah. So, you know, remember, they were giving $1,200 to every buddy who paid taxes last year. And the IRS knows if you're dead, but the treasury department does not know if you're dead. So a million people got, uh, got stimulus checks who are dead. And so someone asked me a good, a reasonable question. So that's, you know, that's over a billion, that's over one point, well, that is $1.2 billion of money, of US taxpayer money, went to dead people. And so the question was, who got that money? And so the IRS has come out and said, we need that money back. You, if you got a, if you're dead and you got a stimulus check, we need it back. Whoever cashed that check, we need it back. Because here's what happened. If you 
let's say, let's say my dad died and I got the check because I'm getting all his mail. I could just deposit it in my name and I could just sign it over to me if I have control of his estate. So believe me, that money got cashed. A billion dollars of taxpayer money did get cashed. They, the IRS did not get that money back from anybody. And so the IRS has come out and said, we want that money back. But here's the question I have. The IRS is, they don't, you know, Trump's been firing everyone at the IRS. The IRS doesn't even have enough money to collect taxes. How are they going to collect the checks they sent out accidentally to a million dead people? The second thing I have to say is, let, what, what's your problem? Let people cash those checks. The more stimulus in the economy, the better. Well, so why resent all the people who... Well, but thought that money could go, you know, to other people that need it, not just the people that are getting it twice. I agree with you, but they said $50 billion as bailouts to the airlines. So instead of sending $50 billion to some corporation that's just going to pocket the money or pay down yeah. their foreign debt holders with it, don't bail out corporations. Just give the money. Right. The next stimulus bill should be directly to the people at the bottom third of the economy who are struggling. And that's the best way to stimulate. Is that what they're doing? No, they're not doing anything like that. They're giving money to corporations. Oh, I thought you said that they gave a um, billion dollars to people that were dead. In the last stimulus. Okay. So I'm saying in the next stimulus, I'm saying just give directly to the people. So I would say just throw this, the packet, the, the money they send to dead people, just fold that into the next stimulus package. Like all you want is to send money directly to people and that will stimulate the economy. Right. But they keep thinking this, they're like religious about this trickle down theory of econ uh, the economy, like give money to the richest and the, the poor will get the money magically somehow. And I do, by the way, think that that works most of the time, but now we don't even know who's at the top of the economy. Like GNC just declared bankruptcy. Other, you know, hotel chains, malls, all the, you know, JCPenney, all these companies are declaring bankruptcy. So. Well, we talked about that too, that it was going to happen anyway, because Amazon. Yeah, Amazon's just dominating. So that's why forget the big companies, forget bailing them out. Just give money to the people who are going to spend it the day they get it, the bottom third of the economy. Like if I'm, if I, you know, if, if, if I'm standing online for food every week to feed my family and someone sends me a $1,200 check, even if it's to my dead grandfather, I'm spending that money the next day. Like I'm buying food and then I'm going to buy a watch maybe because I'll spend it. I'll just do whatever. And then that money gets spent and that. so on. You're hmm? not going to do that. You wouldn't do that. Well, you just said that you would do it, but you wouldn't do it. I wouldn't buy food? You wouldn't spend somebody else's money. You would send it back. I would absolutely spend my dead father's money. He doesn't, he, he Not didn't, if it doesn't belong to you. It belongs they to sent you. it to me. Those so people I'll spend need it. it. So give it back to the government and then they'll send it to somebody that needs it. Fair enough. But I think they should spend it to the people, give it to the people who need it anyway. So yeah. that's the problem is they haven't been giving it to, they haven't been giving it to the people who need it. They gave, they gave billions to Delta Airlines, which is probably going out of business. They could have spent billions giving it to people who actually need it. Like yeah. it's, it's insane. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, so that's where it's going. And the IRS is, it says you got to give it back or it's against the law, but, but whatever, like they're not going to get it back.
Okay. Oh, here's a question for you. Me? It, it was actually just sent to the text, but yeah. it was, I'm aiming at you. Okay. You know, you've, you've owned a hair salon. You had all these mm -hmm. hairstylists working for you. Would it be an interesting idea to be a manager or agent for the top hairstylists in the city? So you could broker for them what's the best hair salon they should work for. And maybe the hair salon has to pay up to get the people with the biggest clientele list and the biggest social media following and so on. Uh, yeah. I mean, I guess if you're a, a salon, that would be a good way to do it. You need to, to, go, to like, talk to an agent or yeah, a manager. Yeah, to have an agent or a manager that recruit for you. Recruit for you, yeah. All right, so that's that a, that's a decent. Idea. I've never heard of that business before, but that'd be a diff, decent business to be in. Right. Maybe in every industry where it, it relies on bringing over a group of clients. I mean, that's how it works in brokerage firms. So if you're a really good broker, uh, then brokerage firms to try to recruit you, they'll pay you like a million dollars for you to move from one brokerage firm mm -hmm. to another. It's because you're bringing all your clients. Yeah. So that's the whole thing too. If you find the good, the good people that, um, they will, you know, they'll follow you. Your, your clients will follow you. So you know, find the best deal. Yeah. That's what I would say. So I'm wondering what other industries, so hair salons can have managers and agents, um, and obviously any kind of like manicurists and all that kind of stuff. What's another industry? Oh, you know, maybe, well, there are recruiting firms for lawyers, which is almost like an agent for, agency yeah. for lawyers. Um, mm, I don't know. There's probably some question. other, I wonder if there's some blue collar industries where they don't have, you know, career recruiting firms. Right. This is almost like being a, a recruitment that. firm. Right. I'd have to think about yeah, that. Yeah. It's interesting. I also think combining, you know, a lot of salons are hurting. So, uh, they don't have uh, the clients or they just have old uh, stylists that don't know how to do the social media. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Could, That's you know, a great bringing, idea. Bringing, you know, the older ones in with the newer ones trying to do. But yeah, by the way, I think that's a whole idea by itself though. Social media for yeah. hair salons and beauty services. Now, I do think there are agencies that do that, but a lot of hair salons don't do anything. Right. And all the time you see on Instagram, like people who just like, like hairstylists who just mm -hmm. put up before and after photos of their clients. And right. those are the hairstylists that, you know, you, you, people gravitate to and you want to go to someone who's got a big Instagram presence or is it has a good copywriter working for them. So I think um, social media and copywriting in the beauty services space could be an interesting industry. Right. So um, by the way, a few months ago, I said we, we had been walking around New York City and I noticed that about 20% of restaurants were not just boarded up, but they were actually shut down. Like the restaurants were for rent. And that's really sad because like all these places that we used to go to, all these places that we used to order delivery from are just out of business forever. And I said on this IG Live that double that would pro are probably truly out of business forever. We just don't know yet because they want to get the next PPP loan. So they haven't announced that they're going out of mm -hmm. business. So Yelp just announced today that 41% of all the businesses listed on Yelp mm -hmm. have closed for good since the pandemic began. Oh and so... I want to kind of match that with positive news because I think that's really negative news. On the one hand, this is not really positive, but bigger, well-financed chains are probably doing well because they're getting more market share when all the mom and pop restaurants are out of business. So mm -hmm. that's why some restaurant chains, the stocks have been going up. 
But I do think this is a sad thing. And what I would encourage is that all these businesses that have closed for good, you should set up GoFundMes for your employees, um, pass the word around, help your employees out. And, you know, I think this is, I think this is also a bad sign for co corporate real estate because you can't just rent out a restaurant space. It's, it's got a kitchen. It's got, it's set up to be, it's got a, you know, a bar. It's set up to be a restaurant. So I think commercial real estate is going to have a problem. So I don't know. Maybe you could turn these restaurant spaces into cloud kitchens, you know, and, and I would love to experiment with this idea that a restaurant, just like a book is not, there's no rules. A book could be eight pages and not 200 pages. A restaurant doesn't have to be a sit down place with waiters and hostesses and cooks and so on. A restaurant is just a menu. Yeah. So I can say James's hot dog menu and I can upload it to Uber Eats and Grubhub and DoorDash and Caviar and Seamless and whatever. And now I have a restaurant and I can just cook hot dogs out of my regulated kitchen that's mm -hmm. called a cloud kitchen or a commissary kitchen. Yeah. So maybe some of these restaurants should turn into commissary kitchens and rent out space to anybody who wants to be a virtual restaurant. Right. So I think it's a good time to just try stuff like this because and think out of the box because everything pretty much in society has just been tossed up into the air. Yeah. And whatever falls is going to happen. So you might as well just take an opportunity and think out of the box and do something that's never been done before because, you know, people will listen. And I think people are eager to, you know, do something to survive. So yeah. why not? Yeah, I Can't agree. get any worse. So a couple of people say, um, uh, you know, Lane and Jazz Rock One uh, say Yelp is horrible. I kind of agree. Uh, by the way, the uh, Coza says, heard about Cloud Kitchens from Sam Park. I did as well. And um, the founder of Uber set up a business, cloudkitchen.com, where it's all about cloud kitchens. And if you Google whatever city you're in and cloud kitchen or commissary kitchen, you could find local kitchens where you could set up your own restaurant without it being a real physical location. So I do think this is the future of restaurants. Now, two people said um, that they hate Yelp. I hate Yelp as well because I feel like the, the, the customers are holding restaurants hostage. Like if you just give a business a one star, it's like hurts their business. I don't like when anybody has their hand in my pocket. And I feel like these anonymous Yelp reviewers, a lot of them are competitors, right. have their hands in my pockets. I hate terrible. it. I hate the fact that on Google Maps, everything, every location has reviews. Like Mount Rushmore. All right, everyone's talking about Mount Rushmore lately because they're pulling down statues and so on. Mount, why would Mount Rushmore have reviews? Don't you already know what Mount Rushmore is? Like I, so I, and Mount Rushmore, you go to it, there are one, it's a man-made wonder. There are one star, if you don't know what Mount Rushmore is, it's these presidents, these huge giant faces of a bunch of presidents, like uh, I think it's Washington, Jefferson, Rose, Theodore Roosevelt, and Lincoln. Their faces are carved into this mountain. And you have, it's in South Dakota, which I didn't know until I looked it up. And you have to, like, I, 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 who would give it a one-star review? Who would give Mount Rushmore a one-star review? So I looked it up. This was a one-star. This was the first one-star review that showed up. Of, and there were hundreds. There was like a thousand one-star reviews of Mount Rushmore. So stupid. And here it was a one-star review. I uh, one star. I can't believe I I I drove two thousand miles to see this this you know horribly defaced once beautiful mountain. 
Are you kidding me? You're gonna drive 2,000 miles, you don't even know what you're driving towards? Did, did someone just tell you, hey buddy, you should drive 2,000, get in your car right now, drive 2,000 miles. There's this really beautiful mountain called Mount Rushmore. You really have, maybe you could ski down there. You really have to check it out. Uh, uh, and then you go there and you say, oh, they defaced this one beautiful mountain. Again, in order to do things, you have to know things. Mount Rushmore, the whole point is, is it's not that it's defaced, it's faced. They put four faces on the mountain. That's the point. So all these people writing reviews are idiots. If you really want an exercise in stupidity, go check out the five-star reviews on Auschwitz because who's giving a five-star review to Auschwitz? Like, what, you don't, you don't like the, the gift shop or something? Like, or, or, or you do like it or you, you like Auschwitz for some reason? So, you know, re reviews are a tricky thing. It's not, it's not always a good thing. So, question of uh, a good question. Is it time to buy silver? Someone asked me an investment question and I don't like to, I'm not giving recommended investment advice. Don't listen to my advice uh, that I just give on an Instagram live. But here's the way I, I do actually like silver. Because for one thing, gold is sort of bullshit. Like why do people buy gold? You cannot buy a single thing in the world with a gold coin. Have you ever even had a gold coin? <laughs> I've never seen gold used as money. Silver has not only currency use, like silver is made into currency and it's a commodity that people value like gold, but silver has industrial use. You can make semiconductors with silver. It's a good conductor of electricity. There's antibacterial use of silverware, of silver. That's why, it, that's why silverware is made out of silver because it's antibacterial. That's why you get silver cavities because it's antibacterial. It gets rid of infections. And let me give you another reason. Historically, gold divided by silver is, there's usually a ratio of about 60. So the gold to silver ratio is about 60 in over the past 30 years. So the, the, right now, the gold to silver ratio is over a hundred. So it's about 60% more. It's 66% more than the average. So gold, so gold and silver have gone like this. This is gold and this is silver. So I do think it's a reasonable strategy to buy silver. And if you want to be safe, sell gold. But I do like the idea of buying uh, silver here. I think copper is better. Copper could be better, but silver and, and gold are commodities that kind of are linked together. And But I do think because of co copper's antiviral properties, maybe it cures coronavirus, who knows? And plus, well, kills it. Once I once I start making my copper infused pajamas and wearing my pajamas now for the forty second day in a row, um, once I start infusing my pajamas with copper, there's going to be huge worldwide demand for copper. So yes, um, I think they should make statues of now in copper, and then they're probably a little easier to tear down. Is copper weaker than what do they make statues out of stone, cement? Well, maybe there are copper statues or. Brass, or yeah, uh -huh. they used to uh, make them out of stone. There's gonna be no, there's gonna be no statue soon. Uh, they're, they're tearing down so many statues. By the way, again, I asked this the other day. What is going on in the chess? How come every headline? I am so bored. Like here's the CNN headlines today. Like uh, uh, you know, 
It's all about like coronavirus and Trump. I'm so bored. In Texas, questions grow about a lesser known U.S. attorney. Who cares? Uh, analysts, what is Trump's agenda for a second term? Who cares? Uh, it's like the same agenda as Biden, probably. Um, Biden says he would make face masks mandatory. Well, what if I was in the middle of Mount Rushmore? Like, would I have to wear a face mask so that Theodore Roosevelt's face wouldn't get coronavirus? Like, what does that even mean? Trump calls out reporter on face mask. Who cares? Now we're seeing articles written about reporters, about um, written by reporters about reporters. Like, that's even dumber than it's, usual. It's sort of like, I don't know, like high school politics or junior high, actually, politics. Yeah. It's just like... They turned into these kids. Yeah. So, so, so I want to know what is going on in the chats. Again, two days ago, I asked this. Uh, the weekend before this weekend, a 19 year old kid got shot and killed. Who killed him? This is, a, this is supposed to be a representative autonomous zone, the Capitol Hill autonomous zone, Chaz in Seattle. I don't know if it's a, some people say it's an arts festival. Some people, so where is the, the headline about the 19 year old who got killed? Or last night we saw a video of some guy screaming, like, get me out of here. And he was no, throwing. No, he was saying to get them out. He oh, was yeah. throwing their crap in a pile saying, just leave. Yeah. So what's Go going on? With, so I figure I want to, I think every I, state should have its own autonomous zone. I think zone. we should just have our home as our own autonomous zone. Yeah. Well, and right. maybe expand it. Like, yeah. Like, so like, I, like maybe in the Upper West Side of New York, maybe there should be from 72nd Street to 78th Street on Broadway, the, 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 the UWSAZ, UZAZ, the Upper West Side Autonomous Zone in New York City. And then you know what you can do? Because now people aren't traveling internationally, you can have an Olympics of all the autonomous zones. Uh. And then people could fight it out. It could be a reality show. Like people could fight it out to be the warlord oh in each gosh. autonomous zone. And you know, the Upper West Side of New York City is all Jews. So I might have a chance of being the warlord of Usaz. <laughs> and you know, I'm gonna have, I, I would have freedom of speech for anyone who agrees with me. Total freedom of speech if you agree with me. And um, I, I would, I, you know. And if they come in here and try to hurt us, we have guns. Yeah, yeah, right to bear arms or right, right. to, or right for bears to have arms. So, uh, Freedom of health services, if it's outside, you know, freedom of right. other uh, health care providers to come into the zone. Right. Give them total freedom. Um, if we want the police to come, we can call them. Yeah, freedom of religion, unless you're yes. too religious. That's a little annoying. Um, no elections are needed. Like, none of the right. lobbying for elections. I'm already the warlord. That's right. Of your uh, own home, see? Uh, freedom of property, because... It's all, be, all, everybody's property should just be free. Yeah. So it's freedom of property. So no taxes. I think we should start setting up autonomous regions everywhere. Not that anyone has home. asked for my opinion on this, but now I will answer. And uh, then the kids have to do what we say too. That'll never happen. So the kids are going to move out of, as soon as we set up the Upper West Side Autonomous Zone, the kids are going to move to Kaz. They already live in one. Our kids. The kids are going to move to the Connecticut Autonomous Zone, Kaz. We have rules. Or the New Jersey Autonomous Zone. Definitely my kids are moving to NJAZ, the New Jersey Autonomous Zone. Um, somebody asked me, what's the, for your, if you're setting up a business right now where you're going direct to consumer, is it, what's the best place to advertise Facebook or Instagram. And it used, the answer used to be Facebook. Uh, and for some things, I'd still recommend Facebook, but 
and I'm not being biased when I say this because I have social media presence on a bunch of platforms, but pod, if I was going to advertise, podcasts are the best place to advertise because you get the podcaster to personally read and, and his audience um, listens to the podcast or her audience. And uh, you, there's great examples. Look at Casper Mattresses. I only heard about Casper Mattresses because of their podcast ads. And just from, you know, Casper doesn't make their own mattresses. They just make it from some factory mm-hmm. or they get it from some factory. They put the Casper sticker on yeah. and then they just advertise on podcasts. That created for them a billion dollar company. Mm-hmm. I mean, they became a billion dollar company just advertising on podcasts. And so I think that the best thing to do is if I was an ad agency placing ads is that I would find the podcast that look like they're going up in, in views, like look on YouTube and I would find the categories that don't have a high CPM, like, uh, like a comedy podcast maybe. And I would advertise across a hundred percent of them. I would just annihilate the industry with my brand's ads because mm, you could get yeah. ads for almost nothing on a decent podcast. And again, Casper built up a billion dollar business. I never even heard of Blue Chew before they started advertising on podcasts. Turns out they're a Viagra uh, generic and they're advertising on every comedy podcast. Uh, I'm telling this one other company that I'm an investor in. You should advertise on podcasts. So um, someone also asked, what are common mistakes when doing a podcast? And I think the most common mistake is just thinking, build it and they will come. And this is the most common mistake, not just for podcasts, but for blogs and apps and websites, you always have to be unique and you always have to hit, you, you have to, you almost have to, without knowing how to do copywriting, you have to hit the principles of copywriting. So you have to, um, you, you have to have somebody with, who's famous with, you know, it's called authority, you know, using your product. Uh, you have to have social proof that your product or, or, uh, a podcast, for instance, is, is helpful to people. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to have, a, you have to ask yourself the question, why me and why now? Like, why is it urgent now for your podcast to exist? There's already a million podcasts and a lot of them are interview podcasts. I'm sick of interview podcasts. <laughs> like, do something different than interview you know, Jordan Peterson, everyone's interviewed Jordan Peterson, do something a little different. I've even moved away from doing interview podcasts. We're doing these Q and A podcasts and a lot of the podcasts now I'm just calling up my friends and we're having a conversation. I still do some interviews if I'm really curious, particularly if a new pandemic's happening, I'll bring on, you know, doctors or whatever, but what makes your podcast unique? Why you, why now, why is this urgent? Why is this useful? Why is this, uh, you know, have proof that it's useful. So use the principles of copywriting to determine if you have a good podcast. And then the next thing is prepare. I see so many podcasts where the podcaster did not prepare. And it's the same thing with a product. It's the same thing with uh, a business. It's the same thing with a book. Don't write it. I see so many books, how to be happy. And then, oh, step number one, be grateful. Step number two, be kind. Step number three, have lots of friends. Step number four, eat lots of greens. Step number five, sleep eight hours. Like how many books 
are that way. And then, oh, the business self-help, I'll write a business self-help instead. Oh, follow up every day with your customers, you know, or, uh, uh, you know, here's the five techniques of sales, like, you know, uh, under promise and over deliver and blah, blah, blah. Here's, uh, I, I don't even, I don't even, I don't really need business self-help. So I don't know those as well, but you know, live in, live in the here and now, live in the now. There already was a book, The Power of Now. I don't need to read that chapter in every other self-help book forever. So figure out why you, who are you, why you, why now? And then make sure it's useful, make sure you're being authentic, tell stories. The biggest mistake in everything, product, book, podcast, business, is you don't have a story. Everything's gotta have a story. I started off this IG Live Q&A with, we were on a plane. Uh, was it safe? Everybody's asking me, was it safe? So we have a little story to tell. It was safe. This is what we saw on the plane. This is what we saw in the airport. By the way, the people who are afraid of planes, they're using RVs and so camping world stocks going up. So you have a story. You just don't say yes or no. Have a story for everything you're bringing up. Um, all right. So, uh, let me see. I'm going to, I'm going to reload to see if there's any more, uh, good questions. Uh, what are some, uh, some reading this question flat. I don't know if I have the answer. What are some business ideas that increase connectedness for people who are going to stay locked down during the pandemic? So, so I asked myself this question a lot. I'm going to ask you guys how many, and I always, we always talk about this. How many friends do you think it's good for an adult to have? Do I, I always want to know, do I have too few friends or too many friends? You have friends? to define friends though. A friend is someone you can call up and say, hey, how's it going? Right. But then are you going to say to this person, Hi, I've got to talk to you about something. And it's like a very personal thing. I mean, that to me is like a friend. All right. So, so uh, not or an acquaintance is someone that is very, it's a very light conversation and it's a very fun, you know, exchange, uh, but it's not like someone that you trust with personal, you know. Right, so that's two good de definitions of friend. So one you could call up and ask a really personal question. Another one you could call up and say, hey, how's it going? But it's not a personal question. And those people could turn into yeah. people that you trust. So it's like it concentric circles to out. Build. Yeah. Another good friend might be someone you see more than once a week. That might be right. a definition of a friend. So yes, okay. the definition of a friend is unclear. Most people are saying three to five friends. I wonder if I have that, I don't really, I don't well, really I'm, I'm one. You're one of my friends. Best my friend. kids are not my friends because they're my kids. Yeah, and my it's, kids are not my friends. Like, you know, the thing about kids is, I always think about it, like a lot of people say, oh, my kid's my best friend mm -hmm. and their kid's like 12 years old. And like, take out the fact that it's a, that it's their kid. When would an adult ever say, you know what? My best friend is a 12 year old. Yeah. Like I have lots of other acquaintances, yeah, but my parent. real best friend is a 12 year old. You would never say that. Like that would never happen unless mm -hmm. they literally, unless your kid literally came out of your vagina, you would never say that. And so, and even for me, if the kid didn't come out of well, my vagina, I would never say that. <laughs> they're so, not my best friend, but they're, they're my kids. So that's a whole different relationship. So yeah, it's a different relationship. Yeah. They're not, they're not friends. Like maybe when they're adults, they might be. And Jordan Peterson, by the way, to his credit, he wrote in his 12 principles for life, whatever his book's called, he, um, has a chapter. I thought it was a really nice title, which says, uh, raise the kind of kids that you would want to be friends with. Yes. And there's an assumption in that, that title 
that they're not your friends when you're raising them. You're sure. ra- you're the you're their razor. You're not their friend. Mm-hmm. So, um, but yeah. increasing. How can you increase? How can you start a business that increases connectedness? Well, you know, there's already there's Facebook, there's Twitter, there's LinkedIn. So there's an interesting question there, which is that Facebook now or let's Twitter is a greater, greater example. Twitter is a great business for finding out who your enemies are. It's a weaker business now for finding, it used to be the business where all my friends were. Now it's the business where all my enemies are because they're all just, I see when people disagree with me, they're all arguing all the time. And it's so annoying going on Twitter or Facebook. I never hit home on Facebook or Twitter because that's like just the list of your enemies who are arguing with you. And so what's a good place to increase connectedness? Well, I think, I've, I've developed friends or at least acquaintances from these Instagram lives. So create, um, we have to have a common, like something, a common, uh, thing that you like uh, to do or that you believe in. Like if say you're a birder, you know, join a birding group or, uh, if you like Taekwondo, you know, join a group or if you like to go off road, Driving, join yeah. an off-road driving group. Oh yeah, and uh, Susan Flynn says uh, running groups and uh, because you have to have a common interest. Yeah, I think right? that's right. And so, so Facebook is usually a way though to find groups of people with common interests, yeah. and I've used it that way. And I've actually may, met very good friends through Facebook groups. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to the IDW, but uh, that they're a private group, so I probably shouldn't have said that. But um, uh, I've met very good friends through, and I've also met good friends through the podcast. So if you're in a business where your job is to reach out to people and get to know them before you even meet them, right. that's often a good way. So, uh, but yeah, I would say not so much a business. I don't think about the business part, but there are that's good ways, you know, maybe this is a good book challenge. Like what are 30 ways to meet friends? Like when you're younger and you have kids, you know, you make friends through the, the kids and their families, right? The kids yeah. and friends. And then so I never a, did that. So it's an easy way to make friends because you have kids the same age and this and that. But as you get older, you, you know, you don't have that anymore. So you do have to go out and join groups or, and that could be online groups or whatever. Yeah. So no, I, I, group or, or the choose yourself group on Facebook, which you know what? I should participate more and I should do these lives into that group as well. But, uh, uh, good question. I'm going to think more about that. I think that's actually a potential newsletter idea, which is just all about a newsletter, all about friendship. Make it a free newsletter. Uh, and like, and like, you can put it in categories. Like, I know that there's an explorer group, people that like to travel and, yeah. and, oh, there's and the Explorers Club in New yeah, York City. Explorers Club, because I love that club. And, yeah. and you really get to meet interesting people with interesting stories and you can share your stories. So that's it, neat. I mean, if you have a, something, a hobby like that, I guess hobbies too, whatever. Yeah, but hobbies are always weird. Like, like something that you're very interested in. Like when I used to play poker a lot, I really, I had just sold my first company. This was 1998 and I was so burnt out. Like I hated business so much uh, that I was so burnt out when I sold the business. So I started playing poker and it was the first time in years that I was just around a group of guys and sometimes a woman Mm -hmm. and we would just be sitting there just making jokes all night. I played every single day and from 8 p.m. to 4 a.m. we were just joking around with each other Mm -hmm. and and literally lying to each other and trying to steal each other's money. So like that's kind of the nature of a poker friendship 
Yeah. And and I considered them my friends, but then it was weird. It was like when I stopped playing poker, I never spoke to any of them ever again. Huh. So sometimes when it's just out of an interest, like I asked, I remember even as a kid, my dad played chess and he told me one day he just stopped going. And I said, did they miss you? Because I was, I was concerned even then about friendship. Okay. I was like 12 years old or 10 years old. And he's like, no, they never, I never heard from them again. And I'm just like, well, then they weren't really friends. But you have to step outside of that. It's, that's the beginning. You find people with an interest that, that you have the same interest. And then you take it out of that zone. And you say, hey, do you want to go have some coffee? Do you want to go have some lunch? You've got to take yourself out of it. And two, one other thing that's important, don't mix it with business. I would, yes. I would which not I, do that. Which I would I, just be very careful. And just if you want to be sincerely, you want to have friends, you just keep it at that level. I never follow that advice. All my friends, I, I mix with business. And because I was so busy with business, I did that. I mix family too. Now my family doesn't speak to me. So that's how that goes. My two sisters don't speak to me. Nepotism is not easy. Nepotism is not easy. Uh, we have 35 seconds left. Tomorrow I'll go over some more side hustle ideas. Uh, I'll review uh, the book challenge. Uh, I will... Um, uh, the, I'll also mention some stocks and then I'll answer questions, ask questions 203-590-8607. And I will save this whole thing on IG and YouTube and podcasts. And I'll answer why don't they talk to me. That's great.